This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. A couple of years ago, uh, my siblings and I kicked in for Christmas and bought her a really nice, nice set. And we're like, we are giving you this, but you have to throw away a bunch of your old knives. Like, don't give them the good – throw them away. They are worth – mom, I can take this and rub it on my palm and not cut myself. Please get rid of it. Hello. I'm Lindsay Christians. And I'm Chris Light. This is The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. A dull knife is more dangerous than a sharp knife. Uh, you should never put your knives in the dishwasher. And, as it turns out, if the garbage disposal is rattling, you need to turn that garbage disposal off first before you go sticking your face directly over that drain. We learned all of this from Adam Hain, who is a chef and the kitchen manager of Rockhound Brewing Company on Park Street. He is a knife nerd of the first order. When Adam stopped by to talk with us, he brought a triangular prism-shaped tool called a tri-stone with him just to show us how he keeps his knife sharp. Uh, and he gave us some really helpful tips on where you should take your knife for sharpening and why you should A, always, B, B, H, honing. I don't know about you, but I went home after this and I honed all of my knives. Give, Give a, a listen. listen. Welcome, Adam. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for bringing your knife sharpening accoutrement. I don't know what the word is. A lot of equipment, be. yeah. We've got like what, three <laughs> items that I can see. Yeah, and there's a couple I didn't bring just because they kind of repeat what this stuff is. So I have for like the hardcore, I've been chopping frozen chicken bones and they aren't like I've taken chips out of my knife, a when wet wheel, um, just a, a standard grinder. Um, you can use any kind of fine grain. You don't want to use your bench grinder you have at home for doing chisels mm-hmm. and whatnot because that will take <laughs> large chunks off of your knife. And the value is in the steel. So this uh, works great. You do about a 20-degree angle, and it uh, will take a lot of those chips out. It will help put an, an edge back on. I actually have a paring knife that um, – never run your knife through the dishwasher, by the way. This is public service announcements number yeah. one. Never, ever run your knives to the dishwasher. Hand wash uh, only. Hand wash only. Doesn't matter if it's your Chicago cutlery or if you have a $200 shun. Never run them to the dishwasher. It takes the temper out of the blade so they can never get as sharp as they originally were. Really? And, okay. Yep, it also loosens the mechanical fitting. So I have in my, my main knife kit, I have a 10-inch uh, chef's knife that I used for years. And somebody ran it through the dishwasher and, and it literally took the uh, – the rivet out of it, so hmm. now I can't. You, I could get it re-riveted, but I use it as an example of this is why we don't do it. It loosens mechanical connections, yeah. so your handle can fall off and things like that. So, what is it about the dishwasher, like the actual mechanics of the in, the inside of the dishwasher, that damages the knife to your, that degree? If it's so, the, the main difference between a home dishwasher and a commercial dishwasher, like if you're in a restaurant, most dishwashers are between ninety and one hundred and eighty seconds. They're you know a minute and a half to three minutes. Uh, it's high heat or it's uh, lower heat with chemical, but it just it's a quick process. I still don't like doing it in restaurant ones, but it's kind of passable. Your home dishwasher takes two to four hours to wash, and it's doing high temperature, and it's a constant wet environment bringing a lot of heat and pressure into your knife. So it gets into the joints, and it just it wrecks them. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's that constant uh, exposure to heat and to pressure and, and dampness. Yeah, and so you shouldn't leave your knife, like, just soaking in the in the sink either. Right. Just kind of like 
wipe yeah. it down real quick and then throw it in the in, in, the, in the drainer or yep it should be a else. couple minute process yeah. oh my gosh we've been here for like 30 seconds and i've learned a gazillion things already <laughs> all at once yeah, yeah. just pile them on so just to sort of introduce you a little bit for our listeners um tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry how you know all this wonderful stuff uh it's a very roundabout uh, uh journey so um we'll Go right back to the beginning. My uh, my mom is the youngest of ten of an orchard family. So my grandma, an orchard family. Yes, uh, my my uh, mother's father and his brothers have the third oldest orchard in the state. Uh, now it's predominantly now just uh, uh, recreational. Though my one of my uncles has an orchard down the row, and my cousin has the orchard that actually backs up to my ancestral orchard. Um, so they had a lot of kids and a lot of workers on the farm. There's uh, row houses where they had people who would come and be like seasonal workers and whatnot. So my grandma never learned how to cook small batches. I still blame her when I make soup. <laughs> that makes uh, sense. So from the time I was big enough to crawl up on a stool, I was sitting by grandma, kneading dough, baking stuff, and I've just always loved cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did it as a hobby, had fun with it, uh, went to school to be a computer programmer, uh, saw what my friends were doing out in the industry. Uh, I like people. And uh, I'm fairly extroverted. I get blamed for talking way too much, and I can make friends with anybody in an instant. And they were all sitting in little boxes, never seeing anybody. Like, the manager would pop in twice a day and be like, here's some work. How are you doing? Goodbye. I didn't want to do that. Yeah, that would make me sad, too. Yeah. In the meantime, <laughs> I, had been, I, I had been washing dishes and, and prep cooking at restaurants because I had friends that were working at them, and my mom was managing the front desk of a resort up in Door County. And they lost all their dishwashers, and they're like, hey— if you come wash dishes for us, do some prep cooking, you get free golf, and we'll feed you prime rib every night. And I'm like, okay. That sounds good. Easy, yeah. easy answer. Yeah. It actually got to the point where after like a month, I'm like, can you feed me something other than prime rib? Uh, I know. That's, oh, it's a terrible a problem. Line. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, so started doing more and more stuff there. Started cooking there. Uh, learning more of the like fine restaurant details. And realized – I was having way more fun and more fulfillment out of working in the restaurant than I was going to school for programming. So switched majors, went to school, Fox Valley Tech, uh, and worked around the Fox Valley for a while. Um, so I already had some of the skill set and also grew up uh, – my, my parents had a dairy farm, so grew up on the dairy farm uh, – doing some of that and then helping with production with making jams and breads and things like that for the orchard. And then in the restaurants and started doing expanding more what I was doing. Uh, worked for a company that ran nine different cafeterias and I managed the managers of them. So it was everything from a cafeteria in a slaughterhouse where it's just get burgers out as fast as you can to fine dining, doing the corporate dining room at Time Warner, doing the uh, – eventually ran the corporate dining room at uh, Schneider National. So feeding – Eight to 900 people a day in a variety of comfort foods up to we had a very large Indian population there and learned how to do traditional Indian cooking. Uh, so it was kind of a blast. And in all of that, I, I love to learn. I read constantly. Uh, and your biggest tool when you're cooking are your knives. Yeah. So I wanted to learn first what kind of knives should I get, what works best for me, what works best for other people, and then if I'm going to have them, how do I take care of them? So started researching how to sharpen them, what tools to use, that kind of stuff, and just figured out that keeping a good sharp knife was the best thing I could do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, worked around the Fox Valley, uh, ended up here in Madison because of my now wife, and uh, started working around here. Wound up uh, running a restaurant in town for three years, 
went over to the feed kitchens, helped open that up, was there for four years, worked with a lot of different entrepreneurs there, actually taught knife classes to their uh, their students in the just baking and and when you say uh, when you say you taught knife classes you mean like just how to you know do the different kinds of like dicing and yep. chops and how to the knife skills yep yeah show them what what type of knife is what so that they can identify them show them the different parts of a knife how to keep your knife sharp how to maintain it how to properly hold a knife and then how to do proper chopping, dicing, that kind of stuff, basically giving them one extra skill so that if they go into a restaurant, they can say, hey, I can chop up 100 pounds of onions if you need, that kind of thing. So yeah, just, you know, learn those skills along the way and just kept honing them. So I was, I'm curious, uh, did you start to kind of build your own collection of knives? You see chefs go around with their knife rolls all the time. Yeah. It's always like on Top Chef. Yeah. It's the, you know, pack your knives and leave. Yeah. We... So chefs as a whole are are we're interesting creatures. Yes. Um, so <laughs> there there are people who get into the restaurant industry because they think, oh, it looks really cool, and, and Top Chef and all of these have really brought a lot of people in that they last about six months, and uh, they're like, <laughs> oh my god. And then you have the people who just wind up there that like I was a computer programming major. Uh, one of my good friends was a history. He like he has his his history degree. Another guy that. Uh, was an HR executive for years in corporate America for Fortune 500 companies. And eventually you find your way into a restaurant and you're like, this feels right. These are my people. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, and, and we're all a little obsessive. So the knife thing gets to be kind of like, I need that knife. I, ah. I know I don't need that knife. I really don't need to spend that. My wife has so many times said to me, why did you get another chef knife? You don't understand. This is a wide belly chef knife <laughs> that comes to a taper rather than my shun, which is a straight back with an Asian handle. So that's very different. This works for other things. Well, what's that one? That's a sushi knife. You don't make sushi. I understand that, but it works so well on vegetables. <laughs> and when I want to shave Brussels sprouts, it's really, really good. Yeah. Yes, but you've got seven other – it doesn't matter. And, and then I'm even worse because I have a whole kit that I just use for teaching knife classes. So that's got like eight chef knives and eight boning knives and a bunch of pairing knives. Mm-hmm. And then I have knives that I don't even really use because I use them as, okay, these are the different knife types. So here's a French cleaver versus a Chinese cleaver. Here's a bird's beak pairing knife versus a standard pairing knife. This is a three-inch pairing knife versus a four-inch pairing knife. I also have a two-and-a-half-inch pairing knife, and that's where I kind of was talking before about the whole dishwasher thing. I had a dishwasher at a restaurant that thought he'd be helpful and clean up, and he grabbed my paring knife and was going to run it through the dishwasher, but it fell through the hole in the bottom of the dish uh, rack and went into the garbage disposal, and he didn't realize it. He turned <gasps> the garbage disposal on a little bit while later. He hears rattle, 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 leans over, and the chef or the paring knife oh, comes no. flying past his face and embeds itself in the ceiling. Uh, and you just leave it there as a, as a sign to everyone else. <laughs> we're like, you realize that would have killed you yeah. had it hit you. So we pull it out, and it's taken like half an inch off the blade. It's taken a chunk out of the handle. So I use the grinding wheel and ground it down. So now it's like a fine. So if I'm, I'm trying to flute mushrooms. It works really well. Um, you but, saved it. Yes. But I also then use it as the, this is why we don't dishwash them. And this is also why if the garbage disposal is making noise, turn it off before we check it. Uh, like... Oh, my Lord. Yeah. He, we gave him a five-minute break to kind of sit sure. down and, you know, clean himself up. You'd have to collect uh, yourself a little bit after, you know, right. a near-death experience. Right. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. So, so yeah. Uh, I have literally thousands of dollars of knives. Um, most chefs I know do. Uh, back 
in the late 90s, um, early 2000s, these ceramic knives were the really big. Everybody had to have a ceramic knife, right? And, oh, man, they're so much sharper. Ceramic knives are great. They don't rust. They are super sharp. They are a pain in the butt. They cost a lot of money. And when the busboy comes back and sets down a bus tub and hits your ceramic knife and it falls on the floor and shatters all over, the sous chef is trying to kill him for his $400 knife. So it's one yeah. of those – yeah. Oh, this, right. Yeah, this is also why a lot of chefs are very territorial about their knives. Like you don't touch their knives unless yeah. they specifically say, here is my knife. You may touch it. And you hear the – coming down from the heavens, you've just earned the right to touch the good knife, right? Yeah. Every kitchen has the garbage knives that, you know, Billy the prep cook gets to use. And then the chef has their role hidden someplace. Uh, my particular role started out like the regular knife roll, and then I got too many knives for it. So then I had two <laughs> knife rolls. And that was just didn't make much sense. And I know chefs that have like full-on tackle boxes or toolboxes, which work okay. I found that a real case for like when you're traveling with good fishing reels uh, worked really well because it's dual layer. It's got foam inserts. And then that wasn't quite big enough. So then I got a traveling revolver case uh, <laughs> that they make for if you're traveling with guns and you can lock it. Oh but it's God. perfect because it opens up and it's like the first layer. It's nice foam padded, all the knives. And then if I lift that out, that's where all the specialty knives are underneath it. So, yeah, it's it's a problem. It's but, a whole thing. Yeah. I actually have – when I when I travel, I've, I've got a backpack for like my, my laptop and iPad and all that kind of stuff. And I normally keep like an extra chef jacket and, and uh, hat. There's also a couple of chef knives and pairing knives and a steel in there just in case. And yeah. people are like, well, why do you carry that with? I'm like, what do you do for your work? Oh, I, you know, I'm a programmer. Do you take your laptop everywhere? Well, yeah, I have to. Same reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to take a whole bunch of thumb drives and a bunch of right. other, you know, backup accoutrement. So one thing that came up in my head was, um, like, when you say that uh, chefs are very territorial about their knives and very, maybe not superstitious, but is part of that because every chef at some point has either themselves mutilated somebody else's knife or had their knife mutilated by somebody who didn't know what they were doing? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times. Uh it's the I, I brought up the frozen chicken bone thing. That is way more common than you think. Like you tell somebody, we need to cut up chicken. And that person didn't pull it out in time, but they're like, well, I can just do this. And frozen stuff just takes giant chunks out of it. And it takes a lot of life out of your knife because you're taking, you know, you're taking off millimeters at a time when you're sharpening them. But if all of a sudden you have to take off a quarter of an inch because somebody took a big divot out, yeah. you've just lost literal years on that knife. Yeah. Uh, I've been in kitchens where they have what's now a boning knife and started out as a chef knife because they've had it so long and sharpened it down so many times. It's just crazy. But, yeah, it, it is. And it is also kind of superstitious. And it's comfort. I mean, like, if you're using this knife all day long, you want to find the handle that fits you right. And there's so many different varieties of handles. But you want what's going to feel comfortable, what you're going to be good with. And you've probably spent years, like, finding the right thing. And now you are used to that knife. Yeah. Somebody messes that up. I mean, it's like wrecking the couch cushions when you got just the right yeah. divot. I mean, you, you've gotten to a point where <laughs> the knife just feels like a natural extension of your hand, and then somebody does the slightest little thing, or if it's got to be, you know, cleaned up in, in some to some degree, you know, then it's just going to be all wackadoo, yep. and it's going to take you forever to get that feeling back. Yep, exactly. So my mother keeps all of her knives in the drawer. I think she she has like a, a magnetic strip for a couple of them. But mostly the knives are just like dumped in a drawer, right? And they're all basically butter knives. I love you, mom. I'm sorry. <laughs> but they're on blast. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're like 
like they're not sharp. Like you can't, you couldn't cut yourself if you wanted to. Like you'd have to really work at it, right? Um, and so like over uh, Christmas this past year, I, I brought, I had a new knife. I had a brand new knife uh, from Orange Tree Imports and I brought it with me in a little like sleeve or whatever. And I was just wondering if you have any thoughts for our home cooks listening about why, A, maybe you shouldn't put all your knives in a drawer. <laughs> And B, why it's important to keep them sharp or have them sharp. Uh, I have the same mother. Um, (laughs) She has the Chicago cutlery knives that she got as a wedding gift uh, 44 years ago now. Uh, She will not get rid of them. She has some other knives that we finally made her get rid of. A couple years ago, uh, my siblings and I kicked in for Christmas and bought her a really nice knife set. And we're like, we are giving you this. But you have to throw away a bunch of your old knives. Like, don't give them to good – throw them away. They are worth – mom, I can take this and rub it on my palm and not cut myself. Please get rid of it. Uh, So a couple reasons to have good sharp knives. Um, My hands are a good testament to it. Uh, I did did martial arts training for years, and I always tell you the first thing is if you're going to do martial arts training, if you're going to get in a fight or you're doing training, you're going to get hit. Just get it into your head. You are going to get hit. It's it's just one of the things. If you're sparring, somebody's going to hit you. If you're in a fist fight, somebody's going to hit you. Get it in your head so that once it happens, you can just react and not freeze up. And I always tell everybody new starting in the kitchen, you are going to cut yourself. At some point, you're going to cut yourself. So know that at some point you're going to cut yourself. And when you do, don't freak out. It is. You, it's still impossible. It, like I can't. Like I mean. Like cause there's there's always that that moment of knowing you've cut yourself, looking at it, seeing the line, and knowing in like two seconds there's going to be some blood coming out of this. But how bad is it going to be? I don't know. And it's just that like Lindsay's losing it over here. Yes, I, I, I've had somebody in the kitchen where they cut themselves and like ah, and now you just have splattered blood everywhere and contaminated yeah. the kitchen. So no, no. it's the. Grab a towel, put it over it. Let's yep. check it out. You know, see what it is. Apply so, pressure. Yeah. So my <laughs> my uh, my left hand ring finger. Uh, many years ago, I was cutting up an avocado, and the avocado slipped. And I was using my boning knife, which is literally sharp enough to shave with. I've proven to people by putting on some uh, some shaving cream and shaving my face with it, uh, and it cut to the bone. Uh, and it was a busy night. We already had somebody out, and it's like, oh crap! I don't have time to go get stitches. I always keep super glue in my bag because super glue was made for battlefield wounds. Yeah, it is pH neutral. It's it's great. So, washed the hand real well. Super glued it. Threw a band aid on. Worked the rest of the night. Barely visible scar on my thumb. I have another nice scar where I was opening a bag of dog <laughs> treats with a jackknife that. Well, sharp, not nearly as sharp, and it sliced my thumb open. And it's a very jagged scar, and it's puckered because a dull knife tears, a sharp knife cuts. Yeah. So same thing when you're cutting, you know, you're cutting chicken breast, you're cutting carrots. If you're using a dull knife, it's not cutting. It's breaking, ripping, and tearing. Yeah. So it's taking a lot more pressure. It's, you're, you're putting a lot more work into it. So one, you're getting more arm strain. You're getting tired. But also – you are way more likely to cut yourself with a dull knife than a sharp knife. Because you're pushing so hard, it, there's a better chance it's going to go off at an angle. With that sharp knife, you're getting that nice, even cut, that nice feel. Yeah. So you're way better to do that. The thing that people don't know, like, I keep my knives sharp. I, you know, I sharpen them every day with that sharpener that comes with my knife. Well, it's not a sharpener. It's a hone. Uh, the steel, whether it's a straight uh, metal, whether it's got grooves, the whole idea of that is to take what's called the neural. So The neural. Yes. So the, the end of your knife, if you looked at it on a microscopic level, it's a tiny little triangle. And the very edge 
right here on the edge of this. Now, this is a serrated, so it doesn't have it. But the edge of this knife We're holding is, a knife right now. Is so. a microscopic blade, right? It's a tiny little sheer piece of metal. Mm-hmm. It's super, super thin. It's microns thick. So as you're cutting, that edge curls over. So you still have a fairly thin piece of metal so it can cut. But with that little edge curled over, that's called the knurl, that curl. So when you take your steel, as you're going back and forth, one side to the next, to the next, to the next, you're taking that little curl of metal and you're straightening it back out and you're taking off the microscopic pieces. Like if you take a towel after you've honed your knife and wipe the hone, you'll see like the gray little dust. It's metal, yeah. metal shavings. So you're taking off that little corrupted piece of metal and getting it straight and super sharp again. So it keeps your knife sharp, but it does not sharpen it. Does it lessen the life of your knife if it's taking metal away? Nope. It actually makes it better because you're taking away that microscopic piece where if you're not taking that away, it's going to curl more and more and more and more so that when you finally do sharpen it, you're taking away a larger chunk of your knife. So you'd rather lose a micron of it than a millimeter. And so you're saying the hone that people are using that comes with the knife, that that's just kind of fixing that neural, whereas with the sharpener, you're actually, you know, kind of, I guess... You will have already fixed the neural before, right. and then that's just going to be shaving off a little bit more because there's, yep. there's going to be like a divot or a chunk or right. something. The, yeah. the sharpener is taking away the micro cracks and the little divots. Yeah. Um, the big thing is every job you do with your knife, you want to hone it. So you're cutting up tomatoes, and then you're going to go to onions. So cut the tomatoes, wipe the blade down, do five, ten quick passes with the with the hone. Just one side to the other, one side to the other, done. Cut up your onions. Now you're going to do peppers. Again, do that one side to the other. And it just keeps it way sharper, way longer. You're going to do a lot less stress on yourself. And it's going to just make your life so much easier. You should always do it every time you take it out and every time that you put it away. First and last thing you do with your knife. And what you were saying. I don't do it nearly that much. That's all I wanted to say. Um, But I was going to say earlier, because, I mean, when people talk about – like you want the knife to be doing the work, not you doing the work. Yes. And when you were talking about if it's a dull knife, you're having to push more, which means if it slips or whatever, then you're going to be have you're going to have that much more momentum. Right. That's going to possibly you know shred your your flesh even. Yeah. <laughs> even. Worse. And the other part of it too is you know you're watching on the you're watching the Cooking Network and whatnot, and people are you know they're shaving down a shallot and it's super thin and you yeah. can almost see through it, or they're dicing and they have a nice little dice and you're getting it home and you're like oh my god I have giant chunks. This should be going in a stew. The sharper your knife is, the smaller cut you're going to be able to do. You're going to have less of those rough edges. You're going to have a nicer, cleaner cut. Yeah. And you're going to have more uniform stuff. So when you're cooking, your food is all going to cook at the same rate as well that way, which makes a big difference. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. So since we're talking about this a little bit, how do you feel about the scene in Goodfellas where he's shaving the the garlic with the razor blade? That's is there, where my brain went to. Yeah. Is there like is there is there a way do you do you need the razor blade or I mean obviously they were in prison at the time, so they couldn't get it. I have a I have an old fashioned flip out razor blade, like you know, the old barber style mm-hmm. that I will use for that. Uh, but I also have knives that are that sharp. If you're if you really do want to have it like where it melts in, shaving it fine helps. But if you have a good and sharp enough knife, yeah. it'll do it. Yeah. Uh, but or you yeah, could use a mandolin or yep, yeah. Yep. And if you're using a mandolin no, 
again, public safety notice, <laughs> if you're using a mandolin, use the guard. Use the guard. Now, in reality, buy yourself a good cut-proof glove. And forget the guard because the guard never holds stuff down. I have one. It's metal. It's yep. like wearing chain yeah, mail it's a gauntlet. on your hand. It's awesome. And yeah, the, it will keep you from losing parts of your finger because you will you lose parts. I've, I've been in kitchens for 25 years. I still lose parts of my finger if I'm using a mandolin too often. Yep. Get that cut-proof glove because the, the guards they send with them are garbage. Um, but if you don't have a glove, use the guard or you will be going to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the only time I've gotten cut – well, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> One of the times I've gotten cut on my mandolin uh, – mandolin? Mandolin. Mandolin. Yes. Mandolin. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was grabbing for it in the cupboard and I was just grabbing to get it out and I cut myself yeah. on it. Um, my Aunt Kathy once – one of the ways she got cut on a knife was she was reaching over her dish drainer and she cut her because she had the knife blade up. <sighs> Another thing that my mom used to do, thank God she doesn't anymore, she would put the knife's blade up in the dish drainer because she's really aware of how germs are transferred. She's a nurse. And so, she, and so you know, we're all very aware. And she's like, if I put the blade down in that, like, the dish drainer part, like, it's going to get germs on the top. So she didn't want that. So she turned it up. And I was like, you're going to stab yourself. Yeah, yeah ger- germs so, get transferged a lot more, a lot easier if there's blood. Right, right. <laughs> right, right yeah, I, I always teach people in the restaurants, like, when you're washing forks, knives, spoons, all that kind of stuff, have them up. If you're washing, like we don't put the knives through the dishwasher, but let's say you're doing the steak knives. They go through the dishwasher. Put them down. I don't care if there's a little bit of something on them. Take a take a clean, dry cloth afterwards and polish them. But, yes, don't have the knives up. I, again, squicky, uh, had somebody who took a bread knife and put it in a dish rack. And it flipped blade up when it was laying down. And when they picked up the dish rack, they put their thumb on it and pushed the thumb right down and did a nice cut right in their thumb with the bread knife. Again, another reason not to wash your knives in the dishwasher is because <laughs> there's a good chance you're not going to see them and you're going to get themselves. Yeah. Same reason not to leave them in a drawer because if they're in the drawer, especially if they're loose in the drawer, you reach in for something, you're going to cut yourself. Mm-hmm. Have have a, a magnetic knife uh, rack that you can screw into the wall. They're $11 at Target. I mean, <laughs> you can get them cheap. You have a decent knife block that they can go into, or you can even get the little pull-down ones that screw into the bottom of your cabinets and flip down. You can lay them in that. But, yeah, have a way that your knives are accessible and safe, and you are not going to cut yourself by mistake when handling them. So the hone is very important. It, it, do it all the time. As far as sharpening your knives, um, in a commercial kitchen, we sharpen our knives once a month at least. Uh, there are services that come around uh, that will bring us new knives every two weeks for, like, the just standard knives, and they take them and they sharpen them. They're a little lower-quality knife. But, like, for the good knives, we sharpen them at least once a month. Now, we don't do – I've got a tri-stone here in front of me. We don't do all three stones every single month with that. Uh, we normally use, like, the finest one, or I just have, like, an Arkansas uh, fine stone that I'll run them across, that kind of thing. Um, at home, I always suggest to people once a month or once a year, uh, like we have friends that we go to their house for Thanksgiving every year and I always bring along my stuff and I sharpen all their knives. Uh, I just, I kind of make the pre Thanksgiving rounds around to people and sharpen their knives. It's just handier that way. That way you always have that sharp cause it's going to degrade over the course of a year. Even if you haven't used it a lot, just going over the finest, like the tri-stone has a, a rough stone, a medium stone and a fine stone. Uh, I have also a strop here, leather strop, so it does like an even finer, like 
barber uh, shine to it. Uh, the the wheel grinder on your knives is really only if you've done a lot of damage to it. Yeah. If you're taking it someplace and they're putting it on the grinder every year, stop doing it. <laughs> um, it's just like they're they're doing what you're asking them to do, what you're paying them to do. But it really takes a lot of the life out of your knife. Yeah. That that wheel is just for major damage. It's just overkill. Uh, right. Exactly. Uh, you know, if if you are using a machete out in your yard because you have bamboo that's growing up, yeah, take it in, have them put it on the wheel. Uh, same thing, like take every year again. This isn't culinary, but take the blade off your lawnmower, take it in, and get it sharpened. Yeah. Sharpened and balanced, it works great. But having just a simple, like I use the tristone. I also have friends who have the electric sharpeners that you know you do the pass through. Yeah, those work fine. They oh, really they do. do. Yeah, they're not. <gasps> That's good to know. Yeah, they're not. You're not going to get quite as good a sharpen as you would with a really good stone and a, you know taking the passes on it. But it's going to keep it sharp. It's yeah, and, go, and, and if, if you haven't been sharpening it at all, right? Anything is a huge step forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's funny, you know. They have oh, this is a, the watermelon knife, and it's red and green, and it's long, and it has cullens. You can also just buy one really good slicer that you're going to use when you're cutting up a roast and anything like that, and it still works. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, when, when people are like, what do I need for knives? What do I need for knives? You need a good chef knife. You need a good paring knife. And you need a good boning knife. You can do everything you need with that. Now, if you want to add in a nice slicer. So as far like chef knife, an 8-inch chef knife is perfect. I have some 10-inch ones, and that's just if I'm doing really big jobs. 8-inch is comfortable in your hand. If you're a smaller person, you can get a 6- or a 7-inch. It works well. Uh, so 8-inch chef's knife. If you want a Santuco, seven, 6 to 7-inch is great because it works great for fruits and veggies. Uh, that paring knife, 3- or 4-inch, depending on what you like, yeah. rounded handle, square handle, whatnot. Uh, and then a boning knife. There's flexible, there's rigid. Uh, I like to get a slightly flexible one so that if you're cutting like you're cutting ham that's on the bone, you want to go around the bone, it doesn't just stop. Uh, but again, that's like a six-inch yeah. knife. And then a good 10 or 12-inch slicing knife, it can either be serrated or not. So you can use it for bread, you can use it for roasts, any of that kind. Uh, it just works nicely because it – Fruit, veggies, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And th- and when you say good, because you've described a lot of knives as just like you want a good this, that, the other. Because I mean, I've seen, you know, I've looked at, you know, like these like, you know, 30 or $40 like Victory Knox, you know, chef's knives on Amazon or wherever. I mean, are there certain things that people should, you know, be looking for that would be a, a marker of, of something that is, you know, good, like like a baseline quality? Yeah. For most home knives, you want... If you can get a forged rather than stamped knife, it's going to be better. And that's uh, one where you can see, like, the layers in the actual, like, blade, correct? Uh, depending on what it is, if it, uh, you can have a straight forge where you don't see the layers. Uh, if you have uh, – there's different ones that you can. Uh, but the biggest thing is just checking with the manufacturer of whether it's forged or stamped. Stamped is they just take a piece of metal, they cut it out, and they sharpen it. And they'll last. They're fine. I mean, they – they're okay, but a forged one will hold up. It'll be sharper, longer. That's a knife that you can give to your kids. The other thing is, depending on the handle style you're looking at, your best bet is if it is a full tang, riveted handle knife. Uh, if it's full tang, meaning that the blade, like you've got the blade, and then the metal from the blade actually goes all the way the full length of the handle. Correct. Yep. So this is a partial tang. I'm holding up uh, a knife here. That's like a it's a thin serrated knife. 
Yep. So on this one, the tang, which is the, the part of the metal that goes into the handle, you can visibly see it. It goes halfway down the handle, and it is physically connected with a couple of rivets. So having that connection is very important. Um, this is good. It's not going to have quite as much stability, but because it's a slicer, it doesn't really matter as much. Yeah. Uh, now, I have some that are not full tang knives. They're hidden tang. Normally, you're going to find that more in, in the oriental knives. Uh, I have a shun that is a very nice knife. It's a, a long, narrow handle. Works really well for multiple hand sizes. But that one also, it has a full bolster on it. So that's the, the back part, the thicker part of the knife. And it's a well-maintained and well-connected one. Uh, a lot of the cheaper, like some of the Victoronics and, and uh, things like that, they have just a very narrow triangle of metal going into a formed plastic handle. There's a lot higher chance of that eventually loosening up. Uh, now, in your home, you're probably never going to do enough to do it. But if you're doing, if you're actually doing a significant amount of cutting, you you can have that issue. Knives, I mean, they really do. If you have a good knife that you take good care of, can last multi generations. Yeah. Uh, my mom has my grandma's Cutco knives that are they're older than my mom for sure, and they work really well. I have a random kind of side question about Cutco knives. My friend sold them when she was like in her early 20s, late teens, you know, like you do when you're in college for extra cash. Because I think it's like a multi-level marketing situation. <laughs> um, but whatever. So she was selling Cutco knives. Why do they always slice through rope? Like what is the value of slicing through rope or like a penny or whatever they do? Like uh, why? Rope because it's multiple layers and it's twisted. So it shows that it can cut cleanly and get through stuff that way. Uh, and then they'll always go and cut a tomato afterwards because a tomato is so hard to cut because it's got the the tough skin and the the soft center, so it'll always mush. So yeah, they're just it's the same thing when they cut through a shoe. It's to show that they can cut through something <laughs> tough and then cut something soft. But yeah. like, what is the food equivalent of a rope? Uh, butternut squash. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, there's like a lot of the root vegetables. Uh, I, I love root vegetables. Uh, my favorite thing to do in the winter is get like. Uh, rutabagas, turnips, parsnips, carrots. Parsnips and, are harder than carrots, yes. right? So and and rutabagas are really really hard. <laughs> and I like to cube them, roast them, and and they're great, right? They make a great thing, but they are tough, and you need a stout knife for them, mm -hmm. and you need a sharp knife. You need you need something that's not going to twist when you're cutting through. So that's kind of what they're showing. The more fibrous stuff like that. It's going to cut through. Got it. So, like the next time you get like a blue Hubbard squash that's like the size of your cat, and, and you need just need to like get through that thing so you can cook it. Because I was like, well, can, can I? Because I, I I'm a member of a CSA, and so sometimes they'll give us like beautiful winter squashes, and like some of them like acorns, festivals, butternuts, obviously delicata. I can I can handle those fine. But you know, a curry squash or some of these other ones where you're just sort of like, it's not. And I'll put like towel down to make sure that it's stable and I'm just like approaching it with my knife and thinking uh it can't run away but it can roll <laughs> like I'm just I get so nervous and I feel like having the sharp knife yep uh I have a uh 14 inch scimitar for those scimitar uh, yeah so scimitars is uh uh at c-i-m-c-i-m-e-t-e-r uh, it's butcher's knife. Not like um, what the guards had right, in, in Aladdin. Right, right. Like it's shaped kind of the same way, <laughs> sure. um, but it's it's made for cutting large cuts of well, cutting primals and subprimals. So you're going you're getting a full ribeye and you're going to cut ribeye steaks out of it. You use this knife because it's wider, it's long, it's curved. It works really well for that. It also works great for 
large fruits and vegetables. Uh, and it's one of those things that you can find them online for about 30 bucks for a good one. So it's another thing to have in your arsenal if you're like, I got 30 bucks and I want to buy something kind of cool. And that's when you definitely want to hang up in the kitchen because people see that and they're like, oh, this is a serious kitchen. Yeah. They, they've got a, they got a sword. Uh, <laughs> the, the other big thing with any of that round kind of stuff, uh, you know, whether it's, it's potatoes on the small end or going up to squash, pumpkin, any of that, shave – a, a, you know, half an inch off of one side mm-hmm. to make a flat surface. Oh, That's, right. Yeah, yep. always make one flat surface and then roll it onto that and then start doing I do that cutting. with watermelon, but it didn't occur to me to do it with squash, but that's a super smart idea. Yep. Yeah, yeah. anything round, just having losing that little bit on the side really makes a big difference because more often, it's even in the kitchens with people who've been doing this for years, you cut yourself more often because something rolled. Ah. It just, it that's, it happens. It's going to get you. Yep. So, hey, I was hoping we could do maybe a little bit of a demo with some of the stuff you brought in. Uh, listeners, we will not do too much scraping on mic, I promise. Uh, but I did kind of want to see this in action, if that's okay. Definitely. So we're going to start with the Tri-Stone. Uh, Tri-Stone is, it's like um, like, a, like, a, like three different columns that are all kind of connected on both ends. But we'll, we'll include a photo of this. Yeah, so the, the Tri-Stone the show that notes. I have here is... Uh, it's from Dexter. Again, you can find it online. This this one I think I paid like 50 bucks for. Um, in kitchens, we have ones that have – this is all round stock. Uh, so the nice thing with it is that you can turn it. So I use part. I turn. I turn. I turn. So you're not using the same spot all the time. And it's dishwasher safe. So I throw it in the dishwasher every once in a while. Just take off all that extra oil and, and metal and whatnot. Um, your traditional tri-stone is triangular, has three flat pieces of stone on it, and mm-hmm. you rotate. This one is just great. It fits in. It's one of those things that work great in your kitchen. Uh, so oh, this is serrated, too. Let's see. Is there a I think all of these are serrated. <laughs> is that one? Yep. Is that guy? This guy? I don't think there that There we go. Is. Yeah. So. Is that a little... Now, what kind of knife is that? Is that a paring knife? That's a paring knife, yeah. Paring knife. Uh, this, is actually, this is actually my paring knife from home, and I bring it every day to cut apples, and right. I never sharpen it. So uh, we're going to start with the roughest one, and we're just going to go about a 20-degree angle and start at the base of the knife going to the tip in one, like, tr- pushing forward and pulling down as you go along. So it gets the whole blade, and you're not just starting on one spot. Mm-hmm. Then – depending on how comfortable you are with it, you can <laughs> pull it towards you. Oh and that's going to be a little different because you're pulling it towards right. you with... <laughs> or you just switch hands. Yeah, depending so, on how ambidextrous you might be. Right. Uh, so Is this the coarse one? This is the coarse one. So I always do 10 per side. So I do, a tw- I do 20 strokes. So just one, two, three, hit my mic, <laughs> four, five, six... And 20. So this is rough. It's giving it a nice base edge. Mm-hmm. It's like if you feel it, it's definitely sharper. Yeah. Uh, from there, we're going to go to our medium stone. And this is just going to kind of get it, get some of those rough edges off, make it a little nicer. Just real quick. Where, if you were talking to a home cook, where, where would you tell them to take their knives? And if, and if you were advising them to learn to do it at home, what would you say they should buy? Um, if you're doing it at home, like I said, the, the electric ones are the, the kind of foolproof. Yeah. Um, 
you can use them too much and sharpen down too much. Again, sharpen your knives at most once a month, and that's if you're using them on a regular basis. Okay. Uh, hone them all the time. You're not going to hurt them honing them. The only way you're going to hurt them is if you're putting it at a 90-degree angle and scraping it across and you're going to, to you know, blunt the blade that way. But do it somewhere between 20 and 30 degrees, just what, what feels comfortable with your wrist holding the knife mm-hmm. that you normally would. If you don't feel comfortable pulling it towards you, I just – I kind of should have walked through the honing process. If you lock your elbows in at your sides and you hold it out and use wrist motion, that's your best bet. If you don't feel comfortable with that – Stand your your hone up with the end on the table, holding it up, and then just go down at a twenty to thirty degree angle. This is what towards I do. Your table. Yeah, that's, that's, I feel better. Yeah, uh, it it works the same. It's just getting that angle and getting yeah. like I said, getting that neural off. In town, that's part of the. I, I'm not sure who's who's even doing it anymore now. The kitchen gallery's gone. I would talk to like William Sonoma and see if they do. Uh, also, if you're looking for just easy knives. There are a couple of kitchen supply stores in town. Uh, so Cavanaugh's and Kesnick's, they're good ones to talk to, and their people probably know who's actually sharpening them in town. Uh, if you know me, just bother me on Facebook and I'll come sharpen your knives. Uh, I actually also, from time to time, will do knife sharpening things um, where I don't charge anything. Like we've done them at Rockhound uh, Brew Pub on Park Street. We're going to do that again. We're going to do one at... Um, the malt house over on Milwaukee Street. Nice. And the only thing that I require is if you come and I sharpen your knives, you need to at least have one drink to, yeah. like, do some patronage. Yeah, exactly. Pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah, it's really rough. It. I know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's – that's uh, it's finding finding somebody that you trust to use them. Make sure they're not using the same wheel to do your knives that they do axes and lawnmower blades on. It's just not <laughs> great. Um don't let your Uncle Jim do them in the garage using his bench grinder. I have a bench grinder. I use it on my, my machete that I use for chopping bamboo. That's <laughs> that's why I brought it up. But, that, yeah, I would not put my knife on it. No. And if you want to get just a good, simple tri-stone, Amazon is your friend. Look for, like, the Dexter. Um, you're going to pay somewhere between $50 and $100 for yeah. a decent uh, tri-stone of some sort. And there are a lot of online tutorials. Uh, in fact, if it's a really big YouTube rabbit hole you can get into. <laughs> there is a guy in Japan who is a master knife sharpener, and he's amazing. Now, he uses – they go by grit, kind of like sandpaper. Mm-hmm. He has like 600 grit. This, this stuff is almost as fine as glass. It's just ridiculous that he will use to sharpen. He also has done things like he made a knife out of smoke. He made a knife out of rice. He's made knives out of wood, and then he has sharpened them down to the point where he can cut paper with them. It's kind of awesome to watch. All right. But yeah, there's some really good tutorials online if you want to learn that. That's the, the great thing about YouTube. You can learn pretty much anything yeah. off of it. And when you were talking about the tri-stones, I mean, would the, the kitchen supply stores that you mentioned uh, the locally, would those also have those? Or? I believe they do, okay. yes. I've seen people drop their knives off at Sur La Table when I was there shopping. Um, so I think they do knife sharpening there. I had this vision for when we bought a little tri-stone that like – my husband would learn how to do the sharpening, and then we would like go to friends' houses and sharpen their <laughs> knives, and they would love us. Um, he doesn't feel co- that comfortable with doing that because like he's used to sort of our own knives now on it. But right. but your friends still love you. That's the that's the <laughs> main thing. <laughs> just for reasons that have nothing it's to do with knives. Goal, yeah. Just go go to Fromage Nation, buy a bunch of cheese, take it home, use your nice sharp knives, and then take the cheese to their house. Oh, there we go. Very exactly. Nice. That's yeah. perfect. 
of your knives, is there one knife that is your favorite? I know that this is probably asking like one of those like big like you know which favorite your baby. children is like favorite. But I mean, like, is there one knife for you? Like, if I had to use this knife, you know, for the rest of my life, this would be the one for X Y Z. That would be reason. the the Shun eight inch Chef knife. Um, the funny thing about it is, originally that was my wife's knife. Um, she, sorry, hun, cannot <laughs> cook. Um, she knows it. Um, and she just thought, you know, watching all these Food Network shows and stuff, she wanted to buy some good knives. Yeah. So she researched it. No, oh, Shun is a really nice knife. So she went, uh, I don't I think it was Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin Cutlery that she bought it at and got this beautiful knife, right? And then it hung on the magnet in her house. And when we started dating, I'm like, that's a beautiful knife. And I started using it. And I'm like... I'm giving you this knife, and I'm taking this knife. You're not going to use either one of them, so I'm going to use the Henkel at home, yeah. and I'm taking the Shun to work because I can do everything with it, and I will, and it's the most comfortable handle. It's amazing. Love that knife. It's uh, retails about $185 for that Chef knife. I mean, honestly, that's not uh, which bad. Which is not bad. Yeah. That's not what yeah. I thought you were going to say. No, it's not. It's not. They have more expensive ones, but for an everyday use knife, it's really great. Yeah. And, and if you – I mean, for home – if you spend about $300 on a decent knife set, you know, pick and choose what you want, those knives will last you and your kids their lifetime. Yeah. That's what you're saying. It's, it's an investment. It yes. is like you're thinking ahead of the time. And, and again, as long as you're treating them well, if you're sharpening them, you know, once a month and using the hone and, you know, yep. they, they can last you, you know, generations. That's like why said. I give my knives names. There you go. Yeah. My new one is called Hercules. <laughs> He's very strong. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. Our theme music was composed by Patrick Christians, and the show is edited by Natalie Yar. The Corner Table drops every other week. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review if you like it. You can find Lindsay and I both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so please feel free to track us down there. Uh, you can also like our podcast page on Facebook and make sure to check out captimes.com for more local food and drink news. There's a feature this week about the new owner of the Green Owl, a vegetarian cafe on the east side. On another Cap Times podcast, the Mad Splainers, Abby and Natalie have an update on the Madison Public Market. I'm Chris Lay. And I'm Lindsay Christians. And our wish for you this week is a really delicious Catholic Church fish fry. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.